0: Requires high speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: The Athletic.
2: The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off.
1: Hello and welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you. By the athletic. Yes, it's me, James McNicholas. I've been promoted to the big chair this week. There's no Ian, no Amy. I'm kind of a, a caretaker manager, if you will, sort of Stuart Houston filling in on the sidelines. But fortunately, I have got the A team with me. I've got Adrian Clark and Art De Rocher. How are you doing, guys? You alright?
2: Hello, James. Yeah, good to see you, mate. Hey, James.
1: <laughs> good to see you, good to see you, and good for you to see my uh, my messy office through the <laughs> webcam, but uh, fortunately the listeners won't ever see that. Uh, I think we're all a little bit pleasantly surprised that Saturday's game actually went ahead, it was one of the few at the weekend, and it was the match of the day on BBC, the one and only match of the day, and we're going to talk about the game in more depth soon, but One of the major stories coming out of it was the performance of Gabriel Martinelli. It was outstanding. And his brace, it had the feel of one of those breakthrough performances where a player really announces himself to the league. So for our opening question today, we're going to ask, what are some other performances where players announce themselves on the Arsenal stage? And Art, I'll come to you first.
3: I think people who follow me on Twitter are probably not going to be surprised by my answer. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm going to go with Andre Arshavin. Obviously everyone's going to think of Liverpool the 4-4 and you can't blame them for that but for me uh, the game for me was Blackburn obviously uh, he had a part to play in the the first goal. It was a known goal but he was it, there in and about it and then he scored his first goal, official goal for Arsenal in the second half and also had a part to play in the third goal which Emmanuel B- Aboué scored and that was probably the game for me where I was like, okay, he's finally arrived. I've I've moved him over to my career mode on FIFA and and he's he's <laughs> finally scored.
1: And that Blackburn goal, if I remember rightly, uh is that the one where he sort of goes down the left hand side, he's right on the byline and he lifts it over Paul Robinson, I think yeah. it was right into the roof of the net oh, from yeah. the touchline. That's yeah? the one. That's the one, yeah. Uh. looking for a shabby. There's no one in the centre. Walcott's heading in there now. Ashavin still going. Oh that's brilliant play. It's absolutely fantastic play. And it's a stunning goal from Ashavin. And that definitely is his first goal in an Arsenal shirt. And what a strike to remember.
2: I have to say Ashavin has to be one of the most fun players to watch in an Arsenal shirt. He was just a, a pure maverick, wasn't he? And yeah, we saw what he was capable of in that Liverpool game, but but yeah, I I think most gooners of that generation that, that got to see him have a, have a soft spot for Andre.
1: Definitely. I don't know how he would fare with the sort of modern emphasis on analytics and pass completion <laughs> rates and dribble completion rates, but he was certainly fun. And, it, and to be fair, it came from a place where everything he tried was with a view to making something happen. You know, he was very aggressive in the way he carried the ball and passed the ball. Um, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. When it did, it was absolutely a thing of beauty. Adrian, what's the breakout performance you were going to highlight this morning?
2: Funnily enough, it's another Arsenal v Blackburn game, Uh, this time from 2012. It's the the day that I think the Ox announced himself as an Arsenal player. He was only 18 at the time and I think it was only his third Premier League start. He'd He'd had his debut as a sub in that game we don't like to talk about, Old Trafford 8-2, and then had been sort of used sparingly in the Cups and hadn't been brilliant, if truth be told hadn't been that good. And I don't think Wenger was that sold on him, but he played in this game and was brilliant. He he latched onto a a Van Persie pass, went round the keeper and and, and scored. And then in the second half, he got another one at the far post. Really, really cool finish. And he was excellent in in what was an absolute tonking of Blackburn Rovers. And afterwards I've sort of gone back in the archive and had a look and, Ar- and Arsene Wenger had actually said that performance shocked me because last month he looked like a, a kid and now in the space of you know a month two months he, he looks ready to be a first team player and, uh, and by the end of that season he was playing for England at the Euros so it really was a, a breakthrough year for him and and yeah a good, well, you always remember a 7-1 don't you? You do, you do. But it was amazing. You know, he came up from, he'd never played Premier
1: League football before and he had this physicality that people just couldn't live with straight away. And combine that with such technical ability, he was a, a really exciting prospect at that time. So that's a great shout. I was going to go for maybe a slightly obvious one. November 1997, Arsenal are at home to Manchester United. Ian Wright's got an injury uh, and it's another teenager, Nicholas Anelka comes into the team. I think it if it wasn't his first league start, it was certainly his first league goal. Flashed in that shot from the edge of the box, past Peter Schmeichel into the near post.
2: Shooting into the crowd, but it spins away for
0: Nicholas Anelka.
1: a star was born really and over the course of that season as Arsenal went on to win the double he played a key part and eventually was kind of keeping Ian Wright out of the side but I think the Arsenal players knew they had something special already by that point from what they'd seen in training but that's the moment that we as fans realised wow you know this kid he's arrived from Paris and just made such an immediate and stunning impact in that game against such an opponent as well. He
2: he was brilliant. Honestly, I I played in his first actual game in, in Arsenal colours in a reserve game. And yeah, he he turned up in sort of scruffy t-shirt and jeans. It was like, didn't say a word to anyone. It was like, who's that? Who's that? And it it didn't say anything. He was miserable. And well, we, we know why we know that was part of his character anyway, wasn't it? Um, but he couldn't speak any English. That was probably why. And, uh, he came on at half-time. Geordie Armstrong, um, bless him, he, he brought him on at half-time and he was just ridiculously good. He, he was so fast, just quicker than anyone else on the pitch. And I think, he, I think he either scored or won a penalty running in behind. But yeah, I was blown away the first time I saw him and yeah, the rest is history. It's, it's just such a shame, I think, that he didn't stick around because he became that journeyman, didn't he, Nicolas Anelka? And I think if he had a stayed at Arsenal, he would have... I'm not saying he would have broken records but he would have been up there I think in in our sort of um, all-time list of favourite forwards.
1: Definitely I mean that, that Real Madrid move didn't really pan out as planned and then he bounced around a few clubs after that he still had a pretty successful career if you look at what he ended up winning and the teams he played for the goals he scored but I think you know Arsene Wenger was such a key figure in his career and if he'd been allowed to keep working with him over more time we might have seen an even better player but Nevertheless, uh, we're going to go on and talk about Leeds versus Arsenal. Later in the show, we're actually going to be handing out some kind of mid-season awards because this is our final show before Christmas. But we'll get to that shortly. Just to remind you guys, as a listener, you can get a third off an Athletic subscription at the moment. So all you need to do is head to the slash Arsenal pod and they've got all the details. So if you want to keep following our games, following our articles, that's the place to do it. Trying to stay onside here. Martinelli. Dramas back after him. Martinelli! That's brilliant from him! How cool was that? So, we're going to start off with Leeds versus Arsenal. A really resounding 4-1 win for the Arsenal against an admittedly understrength Leeds side. It was an unchanged team, Adrian, from Arsenal, from Mikel Arteta again. Do you think that sort of consistency, particularly in this winter period when teams are having to chop and change and COVIDs
2: affecting so many sides is a, is a bonus for Arteta at the present time. It is. Yeah, definitely because yeah, we all want to see a stable first 11. That was one of my sort of wishes ahead of this season. I want to be able to name Arsenal's strongest 11 because the very best teams you almost always can can do that and and I think we're close to to knowing what that is. There are obviously one or two positions on the pitch that, that he does sort of rotate. But but the fact that he keeps sticking with the same team or there or thereabouts is having a positive effect, A, because you become more fluid and, and, and that chemistry grows, but also the players that are on the bench feel that when they come on, they really have to do something to to make an impact, to get themselves into into that, that starting eleven. And I think we've seen a, a rise in standards, really do, Particularly, I mean, I'm loving the Smith Rowe Udegaard battle. For for instance, we don't really want to see either guy out of the starting eleven, but that's the way it is at the moment. And it's they're pushing one another quite quite brilliantly, I think. And and, and Martinelli obviously is knows that his there are good players on the bench that that can come on for him. And as a consequence, I think he's he's raised his game as well. So so yeah, it's um, it's a definite positive, and it was it was a cracking performance that first half was high octane, wasn't it? It was the kind of away performance, front foot, bold, fearless, and also intelligent because they 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 knew what Leeds' weaknesses were. I really, really enjoyed that first half display and, and yeah, I just wish we could do that more often away from home.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, do you think Leeds, obviously, as I said, a little bit under strength. I don't think they're in great form. Ship seven, didn't they, the other week against Manchester City. But I thought, nevertheless, Arsenal exploited their weaknesses really well. And the way that they kind of matched up the one-to-one and pulled people out of positions was really encouraging. And they looked like quite a well-coached side, Arsenal. Well-coached to cope with what Leeds
2: provide. Did did you see it that way as well, Adrian? I did, yeah. Uh, There's one way. Man marking from Leeds is is the norm, Okay. So Arsenal weren't surprised by what, what they tried to do. And and they clearly worked worked on a game plan. They they clearly practiced with it. And They've had a bit of practice over the years. They've faced leads a few times um, since BLS has been in charge. And the be- when it's done brilliantly, when leads are on fire, it can stifle, choke, strangle you. It's really difficult to play against. But if they're off it, and they are are off it at the moment, I think it's so vulnerable. I, th- I think that there are so many cracks that you can you can force open. And, and Arsenal did that brilliantly. Obviously, Lacazette dropping into midfield. <laughs> the centre-back kept following him, didn't he? Robin Cock, which left left the right-back, who was a drama, uh, who's inexperienced, completely isolated against Martinelli or sometimes Tierney as well. So that was one. You know, Tierney would then sometimes drag... Uh, no, uh, Martinelli would, would deliberately drag the right-back into a centre, centre-back position. And then that left the flank for Tierney to exploit because he knew that Rafinha didn't want to track back. And Odegaard was a standout. I thought Odegaard was superb in the game. And what he did, for sure, was his man marker. He basically went up front for, for a lot of the game. Went and stood up there and and it emptied the midfield. And it created so much more space for for Partey and Xhaka and Ben White to storm into. And then he'd drop off into those pockets at, at the right times to to escape, for sure. I, th- I thought Arsenal were really clever in the way they went about their work. and But it wouldn't have worked had their movement not been as sharp as it was. So it's good to talk about that and have that in theory. We're going to drag people around. But unless you do it quickly or at the right times where they have to react, um, it won't work. But but Arsenal got their timings right, the aggression right, and, and well, everything right in that first half. It was great.
1: Absolutely. And our, Adrian mentioned uh, Martin Odegaard there. And he had let's say, a slow start to the season. You know, there was that period where he was out of the side with Lacazette kind of playing that second striker role. But now he is getting consistent game time and he's producing as well. He had that run of goals. Fantastic assist at the weekend for Mill Smith-Rowe. And I thought in that first half he was pretty instrumental to the way Arsenal attacked, the way they progressed the ball. How impressed were you with what Odegaard produced at Elm Road? I was
3: very impressed. I think the the main thing with... Martin Erdegaard at Leeds was and even in the the past few weeks is he's looked a lot more confident and just in rhythm with what he's actually doing. I remember when we spoke after I think it was um the United game, where obviously he scored also, gave away the penalty. I also mentioned in the Newcastle game. There were moments where he's trying to get into the game. So I remember in the first half, I think it's the first ten minutes. A little double movement he makes to get into the space between the lines. But then he just doesn't get the pass quite right. He was It looked like he was overthinking things. Whereas against Leeds and in the past few weeks, it's just looked a lot more natural. I think there's just a, a kind of swagger about his play in the past few weeks. There was one pass where he makes and he just kind of bounces after he makes the pass. I don't know how to <laughs> properly explain it, but you just see he's got a flow to him now. And I think the, the pass for um, Saka's goal was exceptional. First time opens his body up and he just fizzes the ball around the corner. That I, I was hoping that would get an assist, but um, thankfully his actual assist was even better, I think. And the, the big <laughs> thing as well is the goals from midfield. I know we've spoken about that before, but him uh, just biding his time arriving late in the box And just being there for almost a first time finish every time um, that he scored bar the free kick against Burnley earlier in the season. I think um, both him and Smith Rowe are uh, adding a much needed dimension to Arsenal's play, especially as um, those goals from midfield were severely lacking last season and the season before.
1: Definitely, yeah. And I think it's, what's, seven now for Smith-Rowe, four for Odegaard. It's a big contribution from those guys. But we can't go any further into the podcast without eulogising more about Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, I know you've written about him this weekend it's interesting because a few weeks ago, you know, I think all Arsenal fans were talking about, is Martinelli getting enough game time? I remember fielding questions about, should he go on loan in January in order to get more first team football? And that just seems unthinkable now. He's played his way into the side after coming on as a substitute, making an impact and then just consistently performing when picked to star. Uh, He was outstanding against Leeds, wasn't he, And I think we're seeing a player who's starting to deliver on the potential we all saw quite some time ago.
3: Yeah, the interesting thing with Martinelli is if you look at the whole calendar year, it's almost been what's happening with Gabriel Martinelli year. (laughs) Um, Obviously, he came back, say, this time last year, played in the Chelsea game, was outstanding. Uh, Played against Brighton as well, I believe. Um, and then in the FA Cup against Newcastle in the warm-up, he gets a little setback rolling his ankle and that keeps him out for a, a good while until April, May time, where he was getting a few minutes. And I remember the uh, Leeds win away from home. Arsenal uh, I believe, three-one up in the second half and uh, Pierre-McCabamian comes on instead of Martinelli. And a lot of people were asking questions, Why? Why not give Martinelli those minutes just to kind of find his flow again? And one thing that Arteta mentioned then was finding the right connections for him. Uh, fast forward a few weeks and he's played against uh, Sheffield United and Newcastle, scores against Sheffield United, gets an assist against Newcastle. And in both of those games, Granit Xhaka was playing left back. And Mikel Arteta actually highlighted that as something that gave him a bit more balance because obviously Kieran Tierney likes to bomb forward and take those spaces a bit more whereas Granit Xhaka is a bit more reserved then fast forward a few more months he's he's gone to the Olympics with Brazil and then is thrown into the the Premier League opening day of the season against Brentford almost immediately and I think that's where you probably saw Arteta hold it bring it back in a little bit with how little he was played after that I think he was an unused substitute in seven games in the league this season and also when he was coming on he was only playing say 1 2 minutes maybe 10 minutes at the most um now you're seeing i think not only is he able to affect the game off the left as we've seen throughout his time but he's able to do that through the middle and off the right as well where his decision making off the ball and i know Adrian touched on it a little bit earlier in terms of being able to drag defenders into spaces where they have to make decisions. You saw that on the right uh, against Newcastle as soon as he came on for the goal. You saw that on the left against Leeds uh, throughout the first half. And even against um, Everton and uh, Southampton, you see him taking up those central positions uh, when Erdegaard scores his goal. So I think the the amount of threat that he's carrying at the minute is great to see. And hopefully um, he just is able to build on that momentum into the new year.
1: I mean, he's always been a player who has been dangerous. You know, Arsenal could see that when he was in the fourth tier of Brazilian football. He's got that explosive ability to create something from nothing, that willingness to run in behind, and, and he's a natural finisher too. Do you think what we're seeing now, Adrian, is his evolution in terms of developing... Game intelligence, tactical understanding, how and when to apply those attributes that he seems to to naturally have.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a good point. Yeah, he's yeah he's clearly benefiting from from the time working with Mikel Arteta. We know he's really thorough, and he likes his wide forwards to to drive inside, doesn't he? We, we see it, don't we, in possession the sort of three two five set up and with Tierney flying down, down the left on the outside, it does. And Lacazette dropping into midfield. It does vacate that hole that he loves to surge into. So yeah, it's um, yeah, he's learning the game. He will be even more intelligent in one year's time, in two years time, in three years time, he'll be a more rounded, brighter footballer when it comes to knowing the runs to make. So yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing a, a player that's, that's developing a pace. Um, I do think that Lacazette playing up front helps him because because we all want to see him in the in the central areas, don't we? Bursting into those holes, so so him rather than Aubameyang up top probably works better with with Martinelli. I, I still think he can play down the middle. I still think he could play as a as a two, but but yeah, it leads with the perfect opponents for him. I mean, <laughs> Bielsa Bielsa is a is a is a very good coach. We know that, but. He's had he's had an absolute stinker, and I know that I know that he he was short of players, but from a tactical point of view, it, it was carnage. It really was, and 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 Martinelli just benefited from a really bad day at the office for for Bielsa and, and and Leeds defenders. He needs space to run in behind, doesn't he? A lot of the time, Martinelli and Leeds always offer that. I do think that his pace and drive and goal scoring ability is unsettling opposition defenders more than maybe an orthodox winger would be or, or an inverted winger. I do think that it's it's creating a bit more space for other people, like an Erdegaard in the middle, because they're worried about those runs in behind. If you look at our shots on target across the last few games, we had 12, obviously, against Leeds, 11 in that first half, which was a, a record. We had eight on target against West Ham and also eight on target at Manchester United and i think our season average which includes those numbers is 5 5 point something on tar- shots on target per game so i i don't think it's a coincidence i really don't i think we're getting into better areas because because he's playing and because he's in form
1: for for a layman uh, adrian is it as simple as that the pace in behind creates a threat that that means the defence are going to drop off and in doing that you're going to create more space in front of them for pockets for players like Lacazette and Odegaard to to get on the ball is is that the benefit he's bringing yeah
2: because because they know that he wants to run in behind so they're always maybe taking one or two steps back the full back and the center half the line was probably a little bit deeper and when that happens then arsenal can slide those those balls into an Odegaard or into a Lacazette much easier i think than 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 they would ordinarily have been able to do when he really comes alive, and we saw this in the game, was from turnovers. So when, when Arsenal win the ball back, and I thought they hunted impacts brilliantly in this game, um, a lot of the best chances came from turnovers. That's when opposition teams can't drop off deep. They haven't got time to because they're they're not set. They're not in a line. They're just where they are. And, and we actually saw some Leeds players sort of looking to push up at the crucial moment when they lost the ball. And that 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 just plays into the hands of of somebody like Martinelli. If we press well, and we, we did in this game, then the Martinelli will come alive and be a massive threat in behind from those, uh, those transitions.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And it's something Arsenal did better against West Ham as well. I think it's something that's improved in the last couple of weeks. The intensity... Uh, and the areas in which they've been winning the ball back much higher up the pitch. So that definitely benefited him in what was a a blistering first half. Could have been any score, really, 3-0 at half-time, but might easily have been 4-5 or 6. There were a number of other chances that we might have scored from. Second half didn't go quite so much Arsenal way. Sometimes you expect that when you've got a, a very comfortable lead in a game, but there were a couple of incidents definitely worth talking about. Art, uh, did you think that uh, Granite Shaka was somewhat fortuitous to get away without any significant punishment for that foul early on in the second half?
3: I think w- when you consider uh, Joe Gerhardt got booked, I I would have expected Shaka to get booked too. I, I don't think it would have been mm. a sending off tackle. He got the ball first, uh, just for the follow through. It seemed. I think you tweeted James, if it was Granite Shaka, Granite Shacker would have got a sent off. Um, yeah.
1: I mean you know, it's the quintessential foul that we see and say, if Granite Shaka does that, it's an instant red card. But uh fortunately not on this occasion.
3: But uh yeah, I, I think he was a tad lucky with that one.
1: What did you think, Adrian? Would that yeah. should that have been a yellow? Yeah, definitely. Or, or
2: yeah. And that's the thing about Jacko, we saw the great we saw the good and the bad of him. It was a wonderful pass, wasn't it, for for the goal? Brilliant through ball. Mm-hmm. And he played a couple of those. But he does make these decisions, doesn't he? These sort of headstrong decisions at times. And and that if he can eradicate that from his game, we got ourselves a real player and a and a leader. But I I find it hard to Classify Granite Jacket as a true leader of this team. I know he's part of the leadership group. He's a senior pro. I get it, but I, I don't think he always sets the right example to other players around him. I think he, he, he switches off. He loses concentration, or he makes these sort of headstrong tackles that that often cause yellow or sometimes red cards. So, for that reason, I think he's not that. That he's not. He's not. It wouldn't be my choice for captain, put it that way, Granit Xhaka, because he's that the the type of player that will make these these errors on, on, on a regular basis. He needs to cut it out.
1: And speaking of errors, uh, Ben White lunged in inside the penalty box, led to the concession of a penalty. I mean, Adrian, I'll, I'll come to you first. Just on the instant reaction to that moment from Ramsdale and White, where Ramsdale comes out applauding the challenge and White sort of acts <laughs> like he's done nothing wrong. Was that a misjudgment or was that gamesmanship? In
2: your opinion, no, I'm all for it. That is absolute gamesmanship. Yeah, and I love it. I'm here for it. It's uh, it's it's a classic. It's a classic, it isn't me. it? When, I have to say, when you handball it, right, it's standard to to grab your stomach or or your chest. Like you, you, it's just what you do. <laughs> you, you're not taught to do it, but. You just do it because you you have to try and kid the referee wherever you can, and and Rams now would a hundred percent say that White missed that ball, but he's tried to fake it in the hope that, that, that the referee missed it. Unfortunately, he didn't. <laughs> it was pretty clear. But no, I I liked it because it it also shows bright minds and it shows a desperation actually not to not to concede. It, it, I think some Arsenal teams in in you know in years gone by. Been a bit soft, and I don't think goals against have hurt them enough. But but this team are beginning to look like one that's desperate to keep clean sheets. And yeah, I I, I applauded it, even though they they made themselves look silly. There's no doubt about that. Uh,
1: yeah, well, I think you're right about that point about clean sheets. I think defending. It is almost a cultural thing, really. You know, it needs to be something that's very ingrained in the mentality, this idea of clean sheets mattering and being an important part of the game. And I do get that sense, particularly that core unit of White, uh, Ramsdale, Gabriel. I do get that sense. They take real pride in that. So they've been disappointed to concede the penalty. But what was encouraging is that, you know, at that moment, it looked like, think we might have allowed leads back into the game. Emma Smith Rowe, as we said earlier, comes off the bench, scores a beautiful goal. Are are you in a position yet where you're worrying yet about how we fit all these great young players into this team, or are you just enjoying their individual performances and not worrying too much about the the final composition?
3: No, I'm I'm not worried at all with um with any of the young players because I think. Going into this period, I was hoping there would be some rotation so players like Smith Rowe and Saka in particular could get some rest. We saw obviously against Newcastle, uh, Saka came off with that minor muscle uh, problem and then uh, Smith Rowe as well had his groin issue that kept him out of two games but the, the big thing that came from that was Martinelli and I think it, it's it's great that you're finally almost in a position where you have a squad of players or players who are outside of the regular starting eleven that you can rely on. And you need that if you're going to challenge and be proper challengers for European football. I'm not going to (laughs) say... I'm not going to categorise it to the two main competitions because I don't want to jinx anything. But um, if you're going for those positions... You you need play more players than just eleven, and it's it's great to see that even when Smith Rowe isn't starting, he can still come on and affect games like he did against West Ham and uh, Leeds, which is uh, all you can ask for, really. Uh, he comes on with a chance and he takes it, um, and I think the 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 areas that he's getting those chances in, they're typical. You're 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 almost getting to the stage now where. They're the typical Emil Smith Rowe zones, just between the penalty area and say just outside the box. That's his kind of his area to, to cause damage, and uh, mm-hmm. it's great to see that he's finally kind of just finding uh, regular goals in those areas.
2: It's can I just say it, it? What we've lacked in in recent years until these young players emerged is attacking midfielders that want to run. Pass people, just run. It's a very simple thing to do. We can all do it. We can all run. But in, in recent years, it's felt like we just wanted to play in front of teams and, and, and and hurt them with brilliant technique. But football's not like that. You need a blend. And, and what these young players, Smith Rowe is a standout. Obviously Saka does it. Martinelli, Odegaard starting to do it. It's just open their legs, just make runs, but pass players. And they might not always get it, but it, it wears teams down, it causes, it puts question marks in their head and sometimes you get in. And when you do get in, often, you know, because they're, they're good players, they they score. So, yeah, it's um, that's the big change for me. The, everyone talks about the youth and, and that's bang on, but the youth, with youth comes running, running power. And I think that's a big difference.
1: Unfortunately, one aspect of the game we do have to touch on is that for, well, the second time in a week, Arsenal's players were subjected to racist abuse from the stands. Um, Art, you were covering the game. It, it looked like it was actually Rob Holding who brought it to the officials' attention. And is there any update on that situation now?
3: Yeah. So obviously, as people would have saw on uh, watching it on Sky, it was Rob Holding that brought it to the attention. It was from from my understanding, it was targeted at uh, Nicholas Pepe and Nuno Tavares when they were warming up. So towards the left-hand side of the dugout near that corner where obviously the Arsenal players were actually told not to celebrate after Saka made it 3-0. So from, from there, there was obviously a, um, official, I guess, complaint made to the referee, Andre Mariner, uh, who would then take it into his match report, but also a police, uh, report was filed after the game pitch side within an hour of the game finishing and, um, Afterwards, uh, obviously with uh, Leeds, uh, our Leeds correspondent, Phil Hay, we were able to find out that the person who who was, uh, who was did target Tavares and Pepe with that racist abuse was was uh, arrested by the police. So it was quite swift action. And I guess credit to, to Rob Holden for his swift, <laughs> his swift action in the first half to bring it to the officials' uh, attention too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Arsenal tweeted from their official account, racism has no place in our society and we're incredibly proud of Rob Holding for standing up for his teammates last night. Uh, I'm sure we can all second those thoughts and uh, great to see that Leeds helped and the police have acted very swiftly to intervene there. Just before we move on to our, our mid-season awards, if you will, I want to check in with you both on the latest on Aubameyang. You know, we've reported on The Athletic. he He's currently training alone he was training at home now he's back at the training ground but he's not part of the first team group Adrian what have you made of the whole situation and do you foresee any kind of truce uh, before Aubameyang goes away to the African Cup of Nations or do you think it might be
2: February before we see him again if at all who knows who knows they need to have that conversation don't they the manager and and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang it's it's awkward I've seen it Dozens of times throughout my career, where you have a fallout, a, a disciplinary issue, and the player is punished, it doesn't tend to drag on as long as this one has. It, it feels like this one is is prolonged, and and for that reason, I do I do sense that there might be we might not see him for a while. We might not see him for a while, and it's it, it's a big call, isn't it, from Mikel Arteta to. to to make make that decision initially to to strip him of the captaincy to leave him out of the side and now for it to to linger on and for him to be training on his own you know, such a senior guy such an influential member of the dressing room it's, it's a bold call um, but he's he, he's setting his stall out and I have to say on on balance and I can see both sides of it but on balance I I think it it was, was absolutely right to to strip him of the captaincy you've got to um your you skipper sets the standards for professionalism work ethic mentality etc and and yeah he's he's let the side down not, not once but but on on several occasions now so i think he's right to do that in terms of ostracizing him you do wonder if there's something else you know at play he's a, he's a high earner um somebody that you know if they were to to Sell or let go, that would free up a lot of funds to to go out and and bring in maybe a younger a younger player. If Abamyang had been banging in, if he'd banged in fifteen goals already this season, would the situation be happening? I don't know. None of us know, but but I think the fact that he's not been in great brilliant form and the fact that he was in quite poor form last season has maybe played a part in, in what we're seeing here. Um, it feels like an exit strategy right now, but but who knows how, it, how it'll play out. If they have a handshake conversation, maybe they can make things up and and carry on as normal, but it kind of doesn't feel like that, does it?
1: No, and in terms of the armband, agent, I know you expressed your concerns about Granite Xhaka's potential leadership or, or lack thereof. Do you think Arsenal will appoint a permanent captain between now and the end of the season or do you think Mikel Arteta will continue to kind of pass the armband around the the existing leadership group yeah
2: it's a, it's a tough one isn't it i think I, I don't really i don't really understand leadership groups i think it's just senior just senior pros every dress, dressing room has them i i i prefer to have actually a younger captain i don't think captains need to be old um tony adams Skip at arsenal a very very Young age, was John Terry the same at Chelsea? Gerrard at Liverpool. We've we've seen it on numerous occasions. Company wasn't that old at City. Um, I, I prefer to. I would prefer to get a captain that that will grow with the team and and, and be you know that that sort of figurehead moving forwards. So yeah, I would look outside of Lacazette and and Xhaka in terms of the full captaincy. I mean, both players could have left, couldn't they? Um, they've been mm. strongly linked with moves away. And and they're not young, so yeah, I would swerve swerve those two personally, and I would go for either Kieran Tierney or or, or maybe Bukayo Saka. Um, I genuinely feel that, that 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 it's not an issue to to appoint a young captain moving forwards.
1: Interesting, and our, a lot of uh, our listeners will be wondering, you know, does the Aubameyang situation change what Arsenal might do in January? What are your thoughts on that? Do you think? that the, the exclusion of Aubameyang necessitates attacking reinforcements?
3: I think, obviously, that's probably what most people would want, but it's not as easy as that because you you have to factor in not only uh, do Arsenal have him who now, I guess, I, I don't think it's unfair to say his future is uncertain and you have uh, Lacazette and Nketi who both fall into that kind of role as well. So you have three free strikers who are not really part of the the furniture I'd say for the long term so you you can't just bring someone else in and expect it to be a quick fix I don't feel you have to actually resolve these free issues first I believe before you can properly move on yes you may be able to bring in somebody in in January but you 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 will still have those problems lingering in the background um, so that's where I think if you're able to to find a permanent transfer for any of those three, you go for it. And then it just makes the situation a lot more easy to, to actually be able to, to move on with your new striking option. And obviously, I think we know that the attributes that are being looked at for that position are almost like a, a blend of... Alexandra Lacazette and Pierre-Éric Aubameyang where someone is able to stretch defences, but also able to drop off and link play a bit more like Lacazette like does. Um, so you have your, I guess, your main target attributes. You have players who are, are still deciding their futures. You have to resolve that first, I think, before you can properly look to to, to find your next big fix.
1: Well, the transfer window opens in about 11 days' time, so we shall find out. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more.
1: Okay, welcome back to Handbrake Off. We're now going to do our season so far awards. Credit to our producer, Abby, who has dubbed these the Handbrake Offscars. Which I really enjoyed. Uh, There's a number of categories, but the first we're going to discuss is the best player. So the best player of the season so far. Adrian, I'll come to you first.
2: Aaron Ramsdale. I think, for me. There have been a number of contenders, obviously, that Saka and Smith-Rowe have, have been consistently excellent. We know that. But Ramsdale has arguably been the best keeper in the division. I think he's been absolutely sensational. I think the impact that he's had on the team with his character, as well as the, the brilliant goalkeeping, has has transformed the confidence of, of the team defensively. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I really, really enjoying watching him play. And yeah, I, I think he's he's just edging it at the moment ahead of ahead of the two guys I just mentioned.
1: Yeah, not the most popular man with the Leeds fans <laughs> <going> by <laughs> the videos doing around on social media, but I, I I really enjoyed those. I have to say, and you're right, that character has been a big part of his impact. He has been outstanding since his arrival. Art, who did you go for here?
3: Yeah, I think anyone in that defensive core can be a, a candidate. So obviously the back four, but I'll. Leave them as a collective for now, and I'll go with Emil Smith Rowe. I think um, from last season to this season, obviously the big jump has been goals, but also just the way he quickens up the game for Arsenal has been crucial since he came in into the side. And I think um, now he looks like he's got a lot more clarity in his in his in his game when he gets into those big moments, and he, he doesn't look scared. To, to to try and make an impact now, try and use his influence. And that's what really set Arsenal apart. When, when you had the collective defensive group, you needed, he was the one who was scoring the goals that were keeping Arsenal afloat at, uh, as they were climbing the table. So I'll go for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have a number of choices. I don't think you'd find too many arguments with that. Uh, personally, I, I really debated this one, but in the end, I think I went for Gabriel just because... I think he's been the cornerstone of that defensive unit. And I think, uh, you know, I sort of measure my worth of a player by how sick I'd feel if they were to get injured. And (laughs) he would be very high on that list. Just on that note, quickly, I don't know about you guys, my heart sank slightly when I saw Tomiyasu go off against Leeds. And I did think that when we lost him, it actually hurt us quite substantially, not only because of his defensive quality, but also because... He's an outball so often for Ramsdale now with him looking for those crossfield passes. I mean, Adrian, is he another candidate? He's been absolutely outstanding, I think, since
2: he signed for the club. Yeah, I, a lot of supporters player of the season awards yeah, up and down the, the country over the years that often go to the sort of Mr. Consistent the fullback who never lets you down, and, and you, I've I've been in teams where you know strikers have scored a lot of goals, and they've not got player of the year because somebody like Tommy Asu has has been that seven out of ten every week, and yeah, I think I think a lot of fans would would probably vote for him if if they were given given a chance. He's he's barely put a foot wrong, so no, he's I like him, I really do, and yeah, I, I kind of feel that that we if we're going to do anything in January aside from a striker, I think. Maybe right back cover is is, is, a, is a position that we could certainly strengthen because I'm not, you know, with all due respect to Cedric, I think it's quite a difference between Tommy Asu and Cedric.
1: Definitely, definitely. Well, the next category is most improved player. I'll come to you first this time, Art. Who did you go for here?
3: I think I'm actually going to go for Gabriel. I, I don't think he was bad last season. I think he was very good. Um, obviously he had David Louise next to him who was almost like his on-field coach for most of the year. But this year, I think he's just looked a lot more assured in his defending. Last year, he was still very imposing, but there were a few moments where he could be a little bit rash. This season, I think he's just a lot more confident in himself and gives himself time to to think before making a decision. And uh, you can really see that he's growing into... Um, uh, a colossal centre back that you can rely upon every week, and I'm I'm really pleased with how his progress is going. Um, so I would say he would be my most improved player. Yeah,
1: can't
2: knock that at all, Adrian. What he said, yeah. Now Gabriel, for me, this is an easy choice. Gabriel um, Gabriel is 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 the most improved player. He he started off well last season, but. His form from the mid-season onwards wasn't great, and and I, I was having concerns about whether whether he would be the right guy moving forward. Those concerns have vanished. He's he's been immense, I think, this season, and yeah, shown shown big improvements as as our outlined.
1: Yeah, I think I went for Smith Rowe actually. Not that he was bad last season; he was excellent, but just adding that. Finishing touch to his game in terms of the end product, the goals, I think it's taken him to another level. And I think it's been incredibly valuable to
2: Arsenal. The next
1: category is our favourite game of the season so far. Adrian, what did you go
2: for? I've gone for Spurs. I enjoyed Leicester because I was there and I don't work at many away games. And it was a really sort of comprehensive win. It obviously featured that amazing save from Ramsdale, which was sort of a, I was there moment. But yeah, the Spurs game was just so uplifting. And I felt that the stadium and the players hadn't been as one like that for, for many years. I, I, I thought it was a tremendous atmosphere and the team rose to the occasion. Spurs were rubbish, which also is, is nice, isn't it? It's always great when they don't turn up and, and we blow them away. So, yeah, that's that's definitely my favourite.
1: Yeah, I, I can't look past Spurs either. I think, like you say, the atmosphere was such a key part of that. And I think, you know, having fans back in the stadium, the first derby back with a full house at the Emirates, that was a huge component in that day, as well as a, a great result, great performance and some great goals. Art, are you going to break the pattern or are you going for the derby no, I, too? I, I'm
3: not. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I wasn't there and I'm I'm probably going to regret that forever that I wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm going with the Spurs game. I think what made it even better was Saka and Smith Rowe scored. So you you can't go wrong when they when they have goal contributions. So Yeah, definitely not.
1: Um so what is the to change the tone slightly the biggest disappointment of the season? And I guess this could be a player or an incident or a particular situation Art, what are you going to
3: go for? If we're talking player, I think Thomas Partey Last season, he was the person in midfield who was taking responsibility with his passes, playing more risky passes. This season, he's he's looked like he's hid in certain games. He hasn't looked to go looking for the ball and then he hasn't been as risky with his passing as we would have liked to see. Um, So he'd be my one who I'm still looking for to, to actually, I think in recent weeks, he's probably found a steady kind of, Average now, hopefully you can build on that. And then if we're talking just outside players, I think those two games against Manchester United and Everton were... I still... It it gives me shivers thinking about them.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not it, it's not healthy to think about what the Premier League table might look like <laughs> if we'd got the results we should have done on those days. But yeah, you start to feel very unwell. Adrian, what did you go for? I,
2: I can't disagree. Actually, I think it has to be Thomas Partey. I've bigged him up ever since he signed. I've been waiting for sort of Vieira Mark II to, to sort of dominate that midfield, and and we've seen it in glimpses, but. Those th- those glimpses are sort of a bit more spaced out this season than, than they were before, and and for that reason, I think yeah I, I've, he he has had the most underwhelming season because I think the ceiling is really really high for Thomas Partey. I think he's a he's got great ability, great frame, athleticism, everything is there for him to be one of the dominant midfielders in the Premier League, but we haven't seen it yet, and um, yeah, that's been a source of real sort of disappointment slash frustration. Hopefully it'll come good. Yeah, it's interesting,
1: isn't it? I mean, Arteta is sticking with Shaka and Party in the middle of the park. I'm not sure either are playing especially well, but it feels like he feel he thinks their physicality and their experience kind of puts a bit of a stability in the team. If those two start playing some good football then we really could be going places but uh, it's not happening right now the, the re- return of fans to stadiums has seen a resurgence in ingenuity of a chance and there have been some great ones this season uh, uh, I've got a feeling I know what you might go for but what did you pick as the best chance? Yeah,
3: you already know what this is going to be It's uh, I'm not going to sing it but Saka and Emulsifera here we go <laughs>
1: The question is, there was a lot of talk after after Saturday's game. Can Gabriel Martinelli be squeezed into the scansion of that chant?
3: I think Martinelli and Martin Odegaard, there needs to be some sort of wordplay there on the Uh. Martin part. But I'm not smart enough to, to to actually crack it.
1: <laughs> Adrian, did you concur with our? It's that, the I best guess?
3: newbie.
2: It's the best new song, isn't it? Definitely, I think it's yeah. a real standout. I mean, the the Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. I do like that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that. Was- <laughs> but but all the clubs do that, don't they? With the teams that they don't like, so it's sort of sort of like a, a replica of of something that does does the rounds around the country. So I don't think we can claim that as our own. So no, I think Art's oh, on the money there. with is the best, best one, but I, yeah, must admit, I, that- I don't concentrate on the chants enough. I need, I, I'm a big fan of them, but I, don't, I sort of, when I'm watching the game, I, uh, yeah, I don't really listen to them and I, and I need to. I mean, that's a message to myself moving forward.
3: Just, just on the chants, I, I, I first heard it at the Brentford away game opening day of the season. So credit, credit to the Arsenal fans because it wasn't just when they started scoring goals they they've actually had it had it ready from the start of the season so so credit to those guys
1: yeah and there's a couple of good ones around the gabby martinelli is a fun one martin odegaard's got one that's just sort of gathering momentum <laughs> to the tune of she's electric um but yeah look, there's a few around so long may they continue Next one, we're going to try and give the manager a rating out of 10. Always a tricky business this, but Adrian, I'll, oh, no. I'll lean on your experience. I'll come to you first. Oh,
2: no. you going to go I'm for? so torn here because obviously we find ourselves in, in a good run in, in the top four and the team I've very well coached at the moment. You can see that it was excellent at Leeds, but I'm I'm going to go for six and a half out of 10 because I think, I think there's more to come. Um, some of the selection decisions have puzzled me a little bit. I think he got them right. He's got to the right place now. But earlier on in the season, I, I, I sort of scratched my head a few times. I think in-game changes haven't changed matches dramatically in our favour when things aren't going well when we've struggled. I don't think we've. Some don't think many decisions have, have turned the tide in our favor in a second half, and and and, and when you look at who Arsenal have beaten, I, I think we've beaten teams that I would expect us to beat. Really, in truth, you know the two standout results are Spurs, who were who were crap on the day. Leicester were awful, and they're having a bad season. Um, in, in the games against Liverpool, City, Chelsea, and United, the games we look at. We conceded fourteen and and we lost them all. So, I can't quite get to a seven, but but I do feel that I do feel that that this run is really promising and that that things are starting to click. So, by the end of the season, it could easily turn into an eight. It could, but but for the reasons I've outlined, you know, I think it's been okay.
3: Ah, uh, Adrian can't quite get to a seven. Can you? I, I I don't know if I can get to a six. I Ooh. think five Ooh. and a half or six. For wow. Me. Just. And I don't mean to sound like uh, sound like a a grump. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> so you never sound like a grump. Yeah, but, well,
2: I'm glad um, you've come underneath I, I me. Just, I've got to say,
3: this is, <laughs> this has been really, this is just, a relief. Really... I just think, <sighs> I think August, I know there were difficulties in terms of play availability, but I feel like those games could have been approached slightly better. Also, as you mentioned, Adrian, when you look at, in-game changes and how how Arsenal have either dropped off after they've uh, gone ahead or just some, I think, changes haven't really impacted the game. Um, that's where I feel like I'm just holding myself in a little bit. Um, that being said, you can't dismiss where Arsenal are at the minute. Obviously, teams uh, behind Arsenal have games in hand, but... Uh, You'd rather have the points, <laughs> and and it's great to see that. Um, and I think we mentioned it on the podcast a few weeks ago that Arsenal aren't drawing as many games as they were last year. Um, they're they're actually getting three points a lot more often, and hopefully that's able to continue. But yeah, I, I just don't feel it's quite fair to to judge right now. Uh, I I'd like to see how how Arsenal and how Mikel Arteta does as the season progresses because as you mentioned I feel like that there's still areas to 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 grow um, and I'd like to see that, that happen.
1: Well you're right it's probably very difficult to judge uh, you know right now but this being the podcast that it is we're about to ask you to do that and make a <laughs> season end prediction um, I'm going to come to you first this time we're in the top four at present albeit with other clubs having games in hand Scary. Where do you think, based on where we are now, we will be come come May, come the end of the season?
3: You're scaring me, James. Honestly, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. don't say nine. <laughs> so go, 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 going into the season, yeah. my my expectation was Europa League. I'm ah, uh, that competition, which I'm not going to name, is very. I think it's doable now. You mean the Conference League, yeah? That's what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to say either fifth or fourth for end of season prediction and hopefully um, a Carabao Cup final.
1: Can I just ask, who do you think, if it is to be fifth for Arsenal, who do you see as the, the big competition, the team that would get that fourth place
3: spot? I think Manchester United. And I hate to say that, but I think it's done.
1: We can tell that you hate it, if that's any <laughs> consolation. Adrian, where do you stand on this right now?
2: Similar, I've got to say, Hearts heart is fourth. We, we, obviously, the top three are, are way ahead. We know that. But, but fourth is up for grabs. I think that we can all see that. But I think that fifth is probably where I, I'd expect us to end up, ultimately, with Manchester United um, p- pipping us. I think, look at their squad... Look at the, t- the you know the real stellar names, uh, and they've made that managerial change. We don't know; it's very early days, isn't it? But if he has a positive effect, then then they'll claw they'll claw those points back. I suspect. But yeah, I, I think we can celebrate some Totteringham's day this year. I think that might that one might be <laughs> in the diary. Um, but but yeah, fourth. If we get fourth, it would be absolutely tremendous.
1: Right. Yeah, I I think I'm. I'm kind of uh I'm with Adrian. I think on the score for the manager. Uh, I might even be able to get to a seven just because I think recovery after that start is is actually a very difficult thing, and I think he deserves some credit for the manner in which he's able to kind of stabilize the ship. But despite that, I'm still not confident of a top four place. We might be the team in possession right now, but when I look at the firepower, the squad Manchester United have, if Ranjit can get a tune out of them. You know, they they started the season as favourites for that spot and they they really should, by all rights, take it. But if Arsenal can run them close, uh, they'll have had a decent campaign. And who knows, there could be many more twists and turns still ahead. We're going to leave it there. But before we do, we're going to close out with a song. Art, have you got a tune for us this week?
3: Uh, I'm going to go with The Moment by Tame Impala and I'm going to dedicate it to Martin Oh, I was about to say Martin (laughs) Erdegaard. To be honest, it could be him. But I'm going to dedicate it to Gabriel Martinelli because this is his moment. And Adrian? Nice. I'm going old school.
2: I'm taking it back to the 80s. Uh, Get into the groove by Madonna because we're in the groove. We are getting into that groove right now. And it's good to see. Long may it continue. I think if, if we can avoid COVID postponements... Fixtures up, yeah. I think the next two fixtures we, we can we can win uh, ahead of that that City game on on New Year's Day. So yeah, we're in the groove um, and Madonna can yeah. I quite like that song as well.
0: Groove, yeah.
1: yeah, I've gone for Jose Gonzalez. Step out because Gabriel Martinelli has stepped out into the spotlight. And he is really shining there right now. Ah, Adrian, thanks so much for joining us. Merry Christmas to you both. Hope you have a great one. And Merry Christmas to all the listeners at home. We'll be back uh, in the new year with Ian, hopefully with Amy and all the usual nonsense. But uh, thanks so much for listening all through the year. Have a very Merry Christmas. Bye-bye, guys.